Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Well, you made it through another week. It's Friday, November 4th. We are four days from the midterms. Don't give up yet. Come on. Come on. Stay strong. Stay focused. We can do this. Um, we have so much to talk about. It is Friday. And as you know, every Friday we open the phone lines so that you and I can talk about, uh, for the first half of the, the whole show, just whatever news stories are on our minds. We're going to talk about Twitter. We're going to talk about editorials in the Milwaukee Sentinel, Sentinel, Oprah endorsing Fetterman, Daylight Savings Time. We're, what's happening to Twitter? And oh, by the way, President Biden is coming to Illinois or Illinois, as we like to call it. No, we don't. I don't know why I said that. President Biden is going to be speaking tonight. I was kind of hoping that he might be speaking somewhere this afternoon and we could all listen in. But no, he is going to be speaking tonight at a Democratic function. And then he's going to be in Joliet tomorrow. So uh, it is going to be exciting times. President Biden coming to a campaign Hillary Clinton out campaigning, Barack Obama out campaigning because these elections are so important, not just because of the races that are on the ballot, but what they mean for our future and how we are going to be living our lives. This is not one to sit out. If you haven't voted by mail and you haven't, if you don't have that mail in ballot in your home, Just go to an early polling place. Avoid the crowds. Go to an early polling place. And if you and if you have to, um, your employer should give you time off on Tuesday. If you haven't voted before then, you should have time on Tuesday to vote. When we turn out, Democrats win. Okay, some of this I've tweeted out, but there are still volunteer opportunities. If you. You know, there was a survey I saw yesterday that said that um, after, I don't know, it was 2016 or 2018. I think it was after 2018. A lot of people were looked back and where they when the results weren't pleasing, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, something like 62 percent of people who didn't vote said that they regretted not voting. Seriously. Don't be one of those people. Don't find that you've elected an election denier or somebody who wants to tell you your vote doesn't matter because what you were too busy. You know, I had a choice. I could vote. I could go to the grocery store. I didn't think I could do both. No, there's too much at stake here. Today. Um, Superintendent Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown, um, state's attorney Kim Fox And uh, Max Bever with the Chicago Board of Elections gave a briefing for the media to reassure people that things were going well as far as elections. You know, you've seen those photos from Arizona where, you know, men in camo in their Jeeps with their big rifles across their laps just pulling up and parking by a drop box because they want to make sure only the right people 
open that door and, you know, put their ballot in. <sighs> um, one of the worries for the last few elections has been whether or not we're going to have enough election officials to make sure every polling place is open like we would like it to be because of, you know, people are kind of nervous these days about sometimes doing this kind of work. Max Bever, the official with the Chicago Board of Elections, wanted to reassure people that at least in the city of Chicago, they do not expect shortages of election officials. He said in some places, it's almost like they're overstaffed. Listen to what Max Bever had to say about that. We're in very good shape for Election Day, so we are overstaffed so far. We're preparing for the inevitable resignations and attrition of judges that that generally comes right before Election Day and no-shows on Election Day. But uh, given the recent redistricting as well as the precinct consolidation, uh, the last election we needed over 10,000 election judges, and that's where we faced an election judge shortage crisis that led to some polling places uh, not opening right at 6 a.m. This time around, we just need 6,450 election judges. We're close to 7,500 already assigned. We're still looking for, uh, we'd like to have as many election judges as possible. So if people are still interested, can go to pollworker.chicagoelections.gov and help overstaff our uh, polling places on election day. You know, one of these days, this election is too important, and I feel like I really need to be here at the microphone um, talking to you, banging the drum, you know, getting people out, getting people excited. But I've always wanted to work an election. I know you have to get up at like four or five in the morning and you have to be there all day. But I just think it would be fascinating. And it's one civic duty that I've never participated in. By the way, you know, I was talking about those um, armed men in camo that came out in the early hours to park their vehicle by a drop box. Uh, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, was asked uh, what our response would be if people tried to stand guard with weapons at a Chicago drop box. She wanted to remind us that we are not Arizona. Listen to this. To be fair, the last couple of years um, in our democracy and in politics has gotten uh, far more hostile, far more aggressive. And we have seen um, that play itself out, whether it is, you know, threatening the gubernatorial candidate, threatening the state's attorney, threatening the mayor. And so, you know, I've only been in office for six years. What I can tell you is that the rhetoric that I've seen in the course of the last couple of years has been uh, far more intense. Um, And while not a specific threat here in Chicago, it's also higher here in Chicago, too. And I think we have made politics a sport and not recognize that there are actual people. Again, I mentioned my 80-year-old grandmother who, you know, she grew up in Cabrini with me, who was afraid to go vote. That's where we are. And that's why this is important, because the rhetoric and the vitriol has seeped into the consciousness of those who we are counting on to ensure that our democracy operates as it should. And so, yes, I've, I've seen our office has been involved in charging those who've made those specific threats. And as someone who has been the subject of those threats, who is a mother, and the concern that I have about my children, this isn't sport. 
Kim Fox, as I mentioned a moment ago, also went to great pains to remind us that we are not Arizona and we are not expecting people to stand guard with weapons at any of the Chicago drop boxes. Listen to this. You don't have two Kim Fox bites, Lady B? Huh. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, uh, we will find that later. So um, before we go to break, though, I do want to share a little bit about what Superintendent David Brown said, because he was, you know, he represents the police and he was asked point blank. Is he seeing threats of violence? Is he seeing intimidation? Um, and this is what he had to say about that. No, this basically is us making sure that our elections are uh, without threat and fair. Uh, we've monitored the in- intel across the country. We haven't had any Chicago-specific threats to our elections. Uh, but we are prepared for the worst, obviously, and hoping for the best. But we don't have any uh, threats to the Chicago area as, as it relates to our elections at this point. That's good news. Um, Lady B found that other soundbite that was lost in our machine. Let's play it now, Lady B. We have different gun laws um, here in Illinois than we they do in Arizona. And so the open carry provisions allow for them to do things like that. What we would say is that anybody who uses um, threats or intimidation could be uh, potentially charged with assault. And that's why it's really important. We want to talk about, you know, election integrity, but we also want to talk about the criminal acts um, that can occur when people use, whether it's a weapon or their words or their bodies, to try to intimidate someone from casting their ballots. And so that is something that we are monitoring and, again, working in close contact with the Chicago Police Department and the Board of Elections. So should something like that happen, there's an urgent and immediate response to it. Okay, it is not too late to help out uh, a party or a candidate that you really feel strongly about. Uh, Like I said before, I think I tweeted, I'll double check, I've, I've tweeted some, if not all of this out, Interested in volunteering? Don't want to be one of those people said, you know, you know, I really thought about volunteering for that race. And now I'm really sorry because my person lost. No, don't be that person. So if you want to find volunteer opportunities for this final, final push, you can go to IndivisibleChicago.com, IndivisibleChicago.com. Um, you, there's another group called Swing Left. They're doing a lot of stuff here in the Midwest. Some of it involves a free bus trip to a lovely place like Wisconsin. Swingleft.org. If you really want to get right into it, swingleft.org slash P slash bus dash travel. Um, you can also phone bank. Through Swing Left. Again, just start with swingleft.org, indivisiblechicago.com, swingleft.org. And our friends in Wisconsin are always looking for help. You can go to their organization. It is, they call themselves the Wisdoms, W-I-S-D-E-M-S, wisdoms.org. You can also go to mobilize.us slash wisdoms. And you know what? If you're listening, maybe you're listening right now in southwestern Michigan or Indiana, 
you can also help the National Democratic Party. It's going to be doing a lot of phone banking this weekend. Events.democrats.org. Okay? So there's plenty to do, and there's still time left to do it for the most important election that we are going to see in a very, very long time. Let's take a break. we got more election stuff and other political stuff to talk about. We're also opening up the phone lines, 773-763-9278, for you to talk about whatever news of this week that you thought was particularly interesting. 773-763-9278. We'll be back with more after this. Take Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. The David Pacman Show. There are lots of people who never like Trump, and there's still a significant number of people in the Republican Party who publicly go along with Trump because they saw the way the tide was turning and they see the way the wind's blowing now. They believe that Trump has been damaging to the party, and so they'd rather someone else, and right now that someone else seems to be Ron DeSantis. That's it. We don't go to deep state because there's no evidence of that. The David Pacman Show, weekday evenings at 10 on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Um, One other quick election note. In Lake County, uh, some of the polling places have moved. So, you know, if you're like me, when I used to go, I used to pretty much just mindlessly go to the same place every time. Um, in Lake County, some of the polling places have moved. You can find out where your polling place is with a little uh, device they've got. Um, they created a Web page where you put in your address and it'll tell you where your polling place is. If you do not find it on the Lake County site, you can go to my Twitter feed. <laughs> well, for as long as I've got a Twitter feed, you can go to my Twitter feed at Joan Esposito, C-H-I, and I tweeted out the link to the Lake County site where you can put in your address and make sure that your polling place is where you think it is, because as I said, in Lake County, some of them have moved. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Lighten up already. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, how are you? Hi, Joan. There's my class assignments. <laughs> you being my professor. Yes. I, I, I was just going to say we've got about 100 hours left to find out what condition we're in. But last night I was watching uh, the Roaring Twenties, and the opening line is, it's still the same old struggle, the struggle to survive. And that pretty much sums up everybody that's ever lived on this earth. But this is democracy. But this is democracy trying to survive, which I never thought I'd get to this point where I've got to sweat out of democracy. And what kills me, John, this is just a side note. These words they use, culture wars, influencers, these foreign words that snuck in our colloquialism, and it's repugnant to me because I don't understand what an influencer is or I don't understand what a, a culture war could be. Culture to me is literature, painting, music from mm-hmm. the beginning. And uh, yeah. how they twisted this into a, into a terrible situation. 
And I mean, the human spirit's going to prevail. I mean, they want to be free. We all want to be free. Everybody wants to be free. Uh, but a regime like Russia, a regime that the Republicans seem to be wanting to throw in America, is just repugnant. And mm-hmm. I've just got my fingers crossed like you do, and you did a great job out Wednesday in, in, in Grundy County. Those were some of those brilliant. <laughs> but, there was, but they were lovely candidates. I mean, they were really yes. how. It, it was it was great. Good, yeah, good basis for democracy. Anyway, Joan, I got my fingers crossed, and have a good weekend. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And, you know, one of the newsletters that I read, it's called uh, 1440. They always end with a quote, and uh, today they ended with a quote from Walter Cronkite. And he was like, you know, freedom isn't... For some people, it's either we're all free or none of us are free. So think twice, please, if you are inclined to vote for a party that doesn't think that gay people should have the same rights that you have. Please think twice before you vote for a party that believes that a woman and her doctor don't have the sense and the compassion and the empathy to make medical decisions without the government setting down some rules. We're all free or none of us are free. Let's go back to the phone lines. Bob is calling in from Indiana. Hey, Bob. Oh, good hey afternoon, Joni Baroni. How are you? Um, oh, I'm not too too awful terrible. Oh, uh, that's a start. But I'll say this. Huh? Yeah. Uh, if uh, if we do remarkable, remarkably well next uh, week, uh, uh, I hope everybody realizes that this is only the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know that was a lesson I learned in 2016. You don't just you don't just vote in an election and then go home and ignore what's going on till the next election. You have to pay attention. You have to look at the people you voted into office and check and see if they're doing what they actually promised they were going to do. Or if the, if the, if the rascals you didn't vote for got into office, you have to hold their feet to the fire. Well, I got a little, uh, possibly a little warning for you folks over in Illinois about, uh, your, uh, right to work amendment. Um, there's a fellow that has, I, I can't remember his name, but I've heard him several times. He called in the various shows, and uh, part of the gist of uh, his comments was that, oh, no, no, you, you shouldn't shouldn't be voting uh, to support that. And he was on, um, I believe it was a day when, uh, I'm going to, I believe the fellow's name is, is there a Ricky Hendon? Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, he was filling in then for Santita Jackson in the morning, as I recall. And this guy called in. And um, the upshot was that uh, Ricky Hendon uh, basically supports the uh, right-to-work law. And he's going back and forth with this guy. And, and then uh, Hendon says, well, I've never heard anyone or any... any uh, big organizations that are against it. Do you know of any? And the guy says, uh, yeah, the, uh, the chamber of commerce. Well, that set up a, uh, a red flag to me because 
Mm-hmm. Most of the most of the Chamber of Commerce uh, people, at least that I know of around here, are business people and usually top heavy with uh, uh, right wing Republican business. Yes, but generally speaking, and I'm not saying this applies to every tiny little Chamber of Commerce in every town, but generally speaking, especially at a national level, you are absolutely right. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is a very, very hard right leaning organization. You know, they try to, you know, present themselves as just, you know, straightforward. Uh, but if you read the stands they take, what they support and what they oppose, it's clear. Um, absolutely. And uh, like you, I don't hold much credence. I mean, we knew that there was probably not small businesses because they, this workers rights amendment isn't going to affect them one way or the other. But big businesses, you know, they want to see a Bruce Rauner in. They don't want to see unions become stronger. They want unions to go away. You know, they want to be able to have part time employees working 35 hours a week with no benefits. And, you know, as especially as independent contractors, then they don't even have to worry about taxes. I mean, come on. I remember my my mom told me. I don't know how it came up, but she said that um, she remembered my dad coming home from work a number of times, and he was awful worried here in Indiana. Uh, at the time, they were talking about this uh, right right to work, uh, right wing uh, proposal, or we, as we call it, right to work for less. Yeah, that's I call it something else, but I won't go into it. But um, <laughs> but what was interesting, um, she told me, well, this went on. This happened before my brother was born, or, or immediately right around that time, or shortly before. Mm-hmm. Well, he he was born in the spring of nineteen forty seven. So well, this is a very old it. fight, isn't it, Bobby? It um, uh, listen, I, I'm sorry to have to cut you off, but um, I'm late no getting to a commercial break. Thanks so much for joining the conversation. I always appreciate it when you call in. Take good care of yourself. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more calls and more news right after this. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Nights from 5 to 6 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and as you know, we spend the first half of the day on Friday just talking with you about the news of the day sharing some of the more um, interesting sound bites that have come my way. We are going to continue taking calls and talking about the election. But before we get back to the phone lines, I'd like to share with you um, something that people weren't sure would happen. An endorsement that um, was actually sought by Dr. Oz a while ago and was very cleverly ducked by one Oprah Winfrey who was said, well, you know, I said it was up to the people of Pennsylvania to vote whoever they wanted. Oprah has changed her tune. Listen to this. 
hold on. And Latasha, you mentioned Pennsylvania. I have to see how this midterm campaign. Uh, I said it was up to the citizens of Pennsylvania. And of course, but I will tell you all this. If I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. Got that? Oprah deciding it was time to take a stand. Oprah, who created the monster that um, Dr. Oz has become, divorcing herself from her her one-time protege. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dan is calling in from Rosemont. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hi, Joan. Always good to talk to you. Listen, you know, I, anyone who says still says that there is a dominant liberal bias in our media is simply out of their mind. Really? Just how they've been covering the economy and this election. Yep. Like, they, example, the New York Times has been driving me crazy. I remember a time when if it was like, well, like the jobs report for October came out. <laughs> Country added 261,000 new jobs. I haven't seen the New York Times reporting on that, but I guarantee you it'll be like, Country adds 260,001 jobs, but what does this mean for Joe Biden as far as the election or inflation? Everything, it's like they they never used to do that. They just used to say, okay, this is a story about adding jobs. We added jobs. We're going to tell you how many jobs we added and where they came from. Now it's always got to be paired with the sky is blue today, but will Joe Biden make it green tomorrow? I'm just, it just, uh, Joe, it's unbelievable. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say. And this election, you know, people, they are presenting this like, oh, the Democrats are doomed. And they are probably going to lose the House. However, if you really look at these polls uh, all over the Internet, real clear politics or, or different polling, Every one of these Senate races are within the margin of error or they're tied or the Democrat is slightly ahead. The only one that might be going south badly is the one in Nevada and maybe Wisconsin. But the rest of these races are wide open. It's going to come down to turnout completely. Mm-hmm. But yep. But it's like the it's like the media now creates scenarios and they begin doing it months ahead of time. And. And they almost make things into self-fulfilling prophecies, in my opinion. Yes, they do. And it's, I think that those uh, negative what about headlines make people more inclined to feel less positive. What President Biden has done in his two years in office is nothing short of spectacular, especially considering the very slim margins he's been working with. Build back better infrastructure, a chip creation. Um, I mean, it's just he's just been a machine getting things out that make our lives better. And yet when you've got a major institution that's always reporting it as well, yes, this happened, but it could still be bad, yeah. or maybe it's still bad, or just wait till it gets bad. That affects the way people well, think about things. Well, like Robert Reich said the other day, you know, don't tell me about inflation unless you also talk about these historically high corporate profits. 
mm-hmm. these oil companies in particular, they are simply price gouging, Joan. They are making more money than they ever have in the history of their organizations. Yep. And uh, they're making billions of dollars buying their own stock back. And uh, But seriously, there is no liberal media, not in my opinion. Other than maybe um, WCPT, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with you. I think the mainstream media, for the most part, has become, and I'm not even sure it is that they're trying to lean right. I think they are trying to appease the right. That if they just put like, oh, great jobs numbers. Oh, inflation seems to be coming down. They they know that people like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are going to pick up the phone and going, you're not fair to us. You're never fair to us. You know, what about this? What about that? And because I've I actually a friend of mine knows somebody who's a reporter at The New York Times and was talking to them about this. And they said, you know, I don't think it's a conscious bias. I think it's such a fear of appearing to be partisan by reporting all the Joe Biden good news that they are trying to literally pair it with something like this so they don't get accused of being, you know, left-leaning media. Well, they've bent over, I think, way too far in the other direction. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you, Joan, and I love your program, and I love your soothing voice, and I look forward (laughs) to it every day. Bye. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate that, because I really enjoy being here and talking to people about this kind of stuff. Uh, By the way, before we, thanks for the call, Uh, before we move on to our next caller, somebody sent me this. This is a slogan that's been on T-shirts for firefighters for years, but Ron DeSantis has put out, the governor of Florida, the Republican governor of Florida, has put out an ad that said, On the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a protector. So God made a fighter, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Now in his most recent ads, telling people, God created him to fight for America. You know, I know you have to have an ego to be in politics. I get that. But come on. God created Jonah Esposito to fight for liberal causes. Come on. Come on. Let's go back to the phone lines. Ike is calling in from South Carolina. Hello, Ike. Thanks for calling in today. Yeah, hey there. Yeah, he just thanks a lot. Made me throw up a little bit in my mouth. DeSantis, <laughs> oh my God! And I'm sure, I'm sure Lucifer would, I'm sure Lucifer would uh, claim him before God would, hmm. uh, which is you know another uh, another one of my points, which is yeah, they may think they're smart. But the fact is, is everybody knows what this election's about. It's time to stand up and punch the bullies in the nose. They've been running roughshod, and they've been pushing and pushing and pushing us. Well, it's time for them to get one right back in the snout where it belongs. And we do that at the ballot box. Listen, I've got, I've got to turn you on to a movie, and you may already know about it. Our buddy Greg Pallas that did the investigation into the voting problems in Georgia in particular, but it's across the country. It's what uh, they passed in that uh, bill down there. 
in Georgia or over there from where I'm at. And basically, these people have the right to challenge voters, and they can do it electronically. And in this movie, it's called... Uh, uh, Vigilante. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it chronicles how they passed that bill, and one person challenged 32,000 registrations. I know. In, in, and then you know what Greg Pallas did? He brought one of the people yeah, whose registrations him. had been challenged to that person's house. And he was like, do you know this guy? He was like, no, I've never seen him before. Well, this is one right. of the this is one of the voting registrations that you challenged in the forms that you filled out. It's clearly a big, a big Republican scam. They can't win fairly. So they have to find a way and, to cheat. Yeah. And here's a big kicker for you. The people that are behind that movement is uh, True the Vote USA. Guess where their three leaders are that started that whole thing are sitting right now? They're sitting in jail in Texas because they came into a Texas court and they tried to run that game on the Texas judge. And they said, okay, produce the evidence. And they said they wouldn't do it, which means really they couldn't do it because it's all bull and everybody knows it. So you know what the judge did? Said, well, you know what? Until you provide those documents, I'm finding you contempt of court and you're going to jail. You'll sit there until I either you admit to me that you're lying or you produce the documents to prove that the elections were tampered or stolen, uh, which I, I just love that. But uh, uh, the one, one other thing, uh, just remember something. Uh, media bias, let me give you an example. In my news feed from Google, Okay, Uh, one of the articles is a CNBC article. Now, the article does a good job of showing who all these major donors are and how much money they've been given these different uh, campaigns on both sides. Okay, they got a full, pretty good full list of them. But whose picture at the top of the article, whose picture do you think that they put in there as the uh, the oligarch uh, financier? Oh, please don't tell me it was George Soros. Absolutely. And that oh. makes my point. These people do this stuff on purpose. And by the way, if you think that this race is even close, I'm telling you, you're going to be so surprised when the push comes to shove and these numbers come in, because there are no, there is no way in the world the average America, including the Republicans that have half a brain cell that are not chewing on nutballs, are going to vote for these people. This, I'm not saying it's going to be a complete wipeout, but what I'm telling you is, is the Republicans are going to be very, they're going to get exactly what they've been begging for and exactly what they've asked for, and they're going to get what they deserve. And, and if you've forgotten about January 6th and you're not smart enough to remember Roe versus Wade and you don't know what we've accomplished all this time, uh, you know, underneath Joe Biden, uh, despite having all the Republican problems that we've had with them, uh, you know, I don't know where you've been. I guess you you might as well just go ahead and go back to your Nickelodeon square pie, uh, square pan SpongeBob channel. And, uh, let <laughs> hey, SpongeBob is channel. pretty politically astute, don't you? You know, of all the cartoons that are out there, SpongeBob has a lot of wisdom and a lot of really subversive content. If you watch it care- carefully, really? I adore SpongeBob. Um, but I'll have to maybe I'll have to look at it. Oh yeah, they sneak a lot knew, of stuff knew, in. I always knew the Simpsons were, but you know, yeah, I, my, I'm well, they're a, pretty I'm, straightforward I'm with it. SpongeBob, it's it's sneakier, but it's there. I'm, um, anyway, we I'm have an to get. Old 
I'm an old Ren and Stimpy guy. Oh my so God. There you go. <laughs> we have to get a uh, get get to a break. Ike, thanks so much for the call. We're going to be back with more right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT eight twenty. This is WCPT eight twenty, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. We spend the first half of our show every Friday talking to you and revisiting the news of the day and the news of the week. We're going to be getting back to your calls very quickly, but I wanted to do a quick update on what's going on with Twitter Uh, Starting last night, a lot of the Twitter employees said that they were locked out of their accounts. Uh, Supposedly, before the day is over today, there will be uh, as many as 50 percent of the employees shown the door. Um, Minimally 25 percent, maximally 50 percent. Elon Musk says it's going to be more like 50. And uh, Twitter is closed today. They didn't want anybody in the office and they sent out a note like um. Well, we're going to reach out to you. If uh, we reach out to you through your personal email, that means you really don't have a job anymore. If we reach out to you through your work email, it means that you are still employed. And by the way, um, these layoffs are coming across all departments, advertising, engineering, content moderation, safety, security. Um, they are all being hit Bloomberg was reporting that uh, just in the safety and security department, those are the people who, like, you know, try to keep hate speech and that sort of thing, anti-Semitism off the the service, that they had over 100 employees and they now have 15. They had more than 100 employees doing this. They now have 15. What does this mean for us other than you know, whether or not we need to find a new service. Well, it has implications for the election. Ben Collins is an NBC reporter who was on MSNBC over the weekend, and he explained, because, you know, it's this coming Monday is when Elon Musk is supposed to put in that new policy where if if you want a blue check mark by your name, you have to pay a subscription fee every month. The blue check mark is where Twitter verifies. So like when you see my account and you see a blue check, Twitter is telling you, yes, that's really Joan Esposito because people impersonate people on Twitter all the time. And you have no way of knowing. I mean, have you ever looked, tried to look up a Twitter account for a celebrity? There's like six different accounts that come up for a celebrity. And it's sometimes it's without a blue check. It's really hard to tell if any of them are the real celebrity. And um, so the people and the, the downside of paying for these check marks is that apparently there's not going to be any verification. So if I decide to open up a new account and I decide to tell you that I am David Orr from Good Government, Illinois, and I subscribe to this new service, my fake David Orr account can buy a blue check mark. So potentially, starting on Monday, you're not going to be sure who's who. You want to pretend to be an election official? Sure. 
subscribe, create a fake account, get a blue check mark. Uh, ben Collins, as I said, was interviewed on MSNBC over the weekend, the NBC reporter, and he explained, I think, quite clearly what the potential danger is for this midterm election. Listen to this. The most important thing that Twitter employees want to stress is that the company is a nightmare right now. Yeah. And it, you cannot work there. And the website is built on sticks and it might fall apart. So how is it cards? Um, if it falls apart by Tuesday, we're in trouble in terms of getting election information out there. The other thing they're warning to me about, oh. by the way, to regular people, like, yeah. you know, this is the thing. These people have lost their jobs, and this is what they're worried about right now. On Tuesday, uh, on, mon- on Monday, let's start on Monday. On Monday, anybody can maybe buy a verification badge, right? Ver- verify For $8. Check. Right. Yeah. You could go and pose as anybody, an election official, a uh, public figure, whatever, and there's, they've cut the moderation staff so severely that there's no way they're going to catch up in time to these lies. Wow. So using Twitter as a trustworthy source of information on Tuesday is going to be a nightmare. That's what people inside of Twitter or people who just got laid off, some people who are still there, are warning about. Because they go and talk to Elon, who is deeply out of his depth, objectively. And they don't know what's going to happen next week during the United States elections. So who is the person, what is the entity that helps identify that Twitter will no longer be a viable source that we have looked to for, for so long going forward? Because we are in the age of misinformation. I mean, the timing could not be worse for all this stuff. The entity is us. We're going to yeah. learn the hard way on Tuesday if, if he does this by Monday. And he wants to. He's, he's, he says he wants to ship this product by Monday. Uh, this is a way to get $8 out of lots of users. Um, we're going to see what happens. I, I'm, I don't mean to sound the alarm quite so severely here, but this could be really bad. So, how does that make you feel? Twitter is widely used by people who uh, talk about politics and people who talk about sports. Those are the two main groups that really um, use Twitter. Twitter has always been useful to me because uh, breaking news tends to show up on Twitter first, especially, uh, kind of gruesome to say this, but when somebody dies, you can almost always find out about it on Twitter long before it shows up in the feed of the Washington Post or the Chicago Tribune, sometimes by hours. But it doesn't make any sense to pay attention to Twitter if, if you can't trust the information. I mean, we already have problems trying to figure out what's reliable and what isn't. Let's go back to the phone lines. Rose is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Rose, thanks for calling today. Hey, John. Hey, before I talk about GOP voter suppression, I just want to mention something about the right-wing media because we were just talking about that. A few weeks ago, I saw something on PBS where they were interviewing an economist specifically to talk about inflation. And when the interviewer asked the economist what was causing this inflation, this economist took several minutes painstakingly using fancy ways to describe what we all know as price gouging and corporate greed, but they would not use the words price gouging and corporate greed. It was just amazing to me. So even on PBS, you, you can't, you know, you can't really get the truth. But I, um, what I really wanted to just mention real quick about um, GOP voter suppression just kind of want to remind people about something. I don't know if people remember, but after the U.S. illegally 
invaded Iraq, what was that, in 2003, and helped get rid of their leader there. Uh, the Bush administration and the Republicans tried really hard to make us all feel happy to see those images of the Iraqis holding up their purple thumbs that showed that they had finally got to vote in a free and fair election. I just find that so hypocritical now because the Republicans are doing everything in our power to keep Americans from voting. It's just the hypocrisy is just stunning. Like in those 20 years, what they've done regarding voting and elections. Uh, The Republican Party is unrecognizable from what it once was um, when, while they agreed we were trying to move in the same direction, they had different ways of doing it, but they were still capable of shame and capable of of putting country first. And um, I hope I see that world again at some point. I really, really do. Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it, Rose. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Brad is calling in from Elk Grove Village. Hey, Brad. Hey, um, as a rebuttal to what Yusanis uh, said about God creating them, um, I would wish the Democrats would fund a super PAC saying white Christian nationalists. You are breaking the commandment that says, do not, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain by calling yourself Christians after Christ and acting in ways that Christ never did, never would have, and certainly would not condone or approve of. And say, there will be a judgment day. By your faith, you believe in it. What are you going to say to Jesus Christ when he asks you, why did you not act in ways I would approve of? You called yourself a Christian. Mm-hmm. You broke that commandment against me. And I think that might be a very effective way of peeling off some of the white Christians that hate, that are racist, that are greedy. You know, Betsy DeVos, the Uline family, all of those people, and they will tell you they are Christians to your face. But God knows better. Yeah. There is um, a guy who I follow on social media, John Pavlovitz, and he is a religious guy, but he writes all the time about how, you know, people these days who call themselves Christian, especially, you know, the people who are white Christian nationalists, he said those they are not they are not following the teachings of of cr- the Christ that they grew up believing in. You're abs- You're absolutely right. Can, um, can I can I mention one other thing? Sure. And that is this: Jesus Christ, a direct teaching of His, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto me that which is mine. Your souls, you cannot be a nationalist if you are a true Christian. Because right in that statement, Christ argues for the, it was about taxes. 
But in my belief, it's separation of church and state. All over our country's money, it says in God we trust. It should be in greed we trust. Yeah, people are getting those things confused. I mean, when you look at what what in the, what's described in the Bible as what Jesus did and who he hung around with and who he was suspicious of, it is um, it is very different than a lot of people who call themselves Christians today. Thanks for that call. Uh, we need to take a break for news at the top of the hour. We're going to be back with more of your calls and more of the political news of the day right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Hey, where's Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. It'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. On Fridays, we talk about the news of the day, the news of the week, and uh, we never have any shortage of topics around here. And we have a number of callers who want to join our conversation. So let's just get back to the phone lines right now. Myrna is calling from Chicago. Hey, Myrna, thanks for joining the conversation today. Hi, Joan. Um, I just wanted to mention something about the uh, the campaign with Dr. Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes to show you how unprofessional he is, claiming to be a doctor, yet People are commenting, saying that his opponent shouldn't be running because of the stroke that he had recently. And he isn't making any type of comment about it. He should know better. My mom, my late mom, had four strokes within about 26-year time frame. Four strokes, different levels. Not once did she lose her ability to understand anything. Mm -hmm. Her biggest problem was verbalizing things. Exactly. Well, that's what the doctors are saying about Fetterman. His his thinking is fine. But when you have a stroke, sometimes the connection between that and your mouth, he gets a little bit um, gets a little bit prickly and uh, he can't always express himself. And he I mean, my God, it's been four months. I mean, the, let's give let's give the guy a break. And I didn't see the entire debate between Oz and Fetterman. But it sure seemed to me that Oz was doing his best to talk as quickly as possible, say as much as possible, so that he would, uh, so that John Fetterman wouldn't be able to follow him and maybe wouldn't be able to respond. I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? And then, of course, before it was like, oh, we know you're sick. Do you want us to have an ambulance standing by in case you need it, Mr. Fetterman? Oh, he's just a, uh, he's not a good man. I don't think he is a good man. Yeah, and I'm glad that Oprah took a stance and did what she did because she's basically saying, you're a loser, I trusted you, and this is what you're doing. You're you're mm-hmm. trying to fool people. And it, it, to me, it just, I mean, I think he's losing so much popularity from the people who used to follow him on social media, on his program as well. 
and he, he's just making himself look like a total idiot. And like said, he's unprofessional. And I don't understand how he can just live with himself knowing that he's being a jerk about this situation, knowing, you know, his, his being a doctor, he knows better. But he's allowed. Well, I think he um, I think all politicians have egos, but I think that Dr. Oz has an ego um, that knows no bounds. Hey, Lady B, as long as we're talking about this, um, if you could pull back out that uh, Oprah soundbite. Oprah was doing a, a live stream today and she decided to talk about the uh, Dr. Oz John Fetterman race in Pennsylvania. Let's hear again what Oprah had to say. Hold on. And Latasha, you mentioned Pennsylvania. I have to see of this midterm campaign. Uh, I said it was up to the citizens of Pennsylvania. And of course, but I will tell you all this. If I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have already cast my vote for John Fetterman for many reasons. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Oprah. And thank you, Myrna. I appreciate uh, both of you. Let's go uh, to George, who is calling in from the south side of Chicago. Hello, George. Hello, Joan. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for taking my call. Um, before I get to my main point, I just want to note, for all of those who did not watch the World Series last night, the Fetterman campaign had a devastating commercial about Oz. It was really laugh out loud funny. Uh, among other things, it included a long take of Dr. Oz on his hands and knees kissing his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame mm. while while looking up sideways at the camera with a goofy grin on his face like, look at me, ain't I cool? I mean, mm. it's, it just said volumes. And... Fetterman, when he, I wish I had taken notes of his lines, but when he spoke, he was loud and clear and distinct and articulate and just devastating. It was like he was hitting Oz with verbal combination punches. I mean, <laughs> commercial. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to call about in regards to media bias, um, I am as grateful as I can be for the two oases that exist, namely WCPT and your colleagues and MSNBC, um, and to a certain extent to public broadcasting, but it is certainly not what it used to be. In any event, and I have called and texted and emailed the station about this in the past, obviously with no result, because this goes back I guess three years. It is often jarring to listen to the AP news at the top of the hour on CPT. There is no liberal bias ever on AP's newscast. Um, they're middle of the road, a good chunk of the time, but there is clear right wing bias in a lot of their newscasts. And it's usually fairly subtle insertion of an a verb, excuse me, of an adjective or an adverb here and there, or adding an embellishment in terms of uh, the tone of voice of the, quote, news person, unquote. And I'm going to have to listen more closely. Yes, um, I mean, a lot of times when the news is on, I'm getting organized for my next interview. 
So, you know, I sort of half listened to it, but I will I will listen more closely. As of yet, I haven't picked that up, which is not to say it's not there. Um, I haven't um, I haven't heard it yet, but you have gotten me uh, inspired to make sure that I pay a little bit more attention to what they're doing. Well, let me give you one example. I I may have heard this today, too, but yesterday, Mm -hmm. uh, newscaster made the point that President Biden was campaigning for Democratic candidates across the country, but then said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but this is the basic meaning of it, uh, that he's only campaigning in blue states uh, because uh, he only wants to campaign in places where he beat Trump and because a lot of Democratic candidates have been keeping him at arm's length and don't want him to campaign for them. I mean, my blood pressure just went right through the roof when I heard that. It's like, this is clear editorializing. This is not news. This is opinion. And it's dishonest right-wing opinion at that. And I expect to hear it just about everywhere else. But I wish the management of CPT would put a staffer or an intern, or even a volunteer on an assignment for, say, 30 to 60 days of just documenting everything AP says on its newscast and then grading them. And maybe Hmm. you'll start looking for a different news source for the top of the hour. Maybe Pacifica would be a good idea. I don't know. But it it happens too often to to be... Really? Well, George, I'm going to pay more attention, and I'm going to talk to some of the people who are back at the studio and have them pay more attention too, because obviously that would be antithetical to our mission here at WCPT. Um, thanks for the heads up. We will, I think watching it and listening for 30 days and making an assessment is a, is a really good idea and probably something we should do anyway. Um, thanks for that. We have to take a break. Um, we're going to be back with more of your calls right after this. WCPT 820 is proud to introduce Heartland Signal, a multimedia newsroom of WCPT 820. Heartland Signal is dedicated to providing news coverage for the 2022 midterms in the Midwest region. At heartlandsignal.com, you can find all the day's news and views to keep you informed and up to date. If you love listening to WCPT 820, then you'll love getting your news from heartlandsignal.com. Visit us there today. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We are doing what we do every Friday. We are talking about the news. We are taking your calls. We're going to try to get all the callers who are waiting in before we uh, switch gears at 3.30, so let's get right to it. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron. Today was, today was the uh, deadline for uh, Trump to turn in documents to the uh, January 6th commission. I didn't hear anything about that. I haven't. I've been watching for that. You're absolutely right. Uh, the January 6th committee subpoenaed documents. Today was the final day for Donald Trump to comply with that subpoena and submit them. And I've been watching all of my usual news sites, and I haven't seen anything about whether or not he's done it. And also, uh, on the uh, November 10th, uh, 
his friends on the Supreme Court are supposed to decide whether or not he's supposed to turn in his tax returns. I I have a bad feeling about that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll see. This Supreme Court, you know, has turned on him before. Not Clarence Thomas. You you can guarantee Clarence Thomas is going to vote in his favor. But um, the others have broken ranks at least once before. We'll see what happens. Um, Thanks for the call, Ron. Uh, Don't mean to rush you, but we're trying to get everybody in before we go to the break. Let's go to Michigan. Ron from Michigan is calling in. Hello, Ron. Hi, Joan. Joan, you know, most immigrants, they come to this country. They want to better themselves and better better the the country that they're coming to. But a a case like we'll take Elon Musk and, and Rupert Murdoch, They've come here to destroy this country. They came to take advantage of our uh, um, policies to give them money to start their businesses. And now we see uh, Elon Musk actually uh, trying to interfere with our election, uh, buying Twitter with Saudi Arabian money, which means Russian money, to destroy this country and and, uh, bring out policies that are totally... uh, Erroneous. And the same thing with Murdoch, another immigrant who came mm-hmm. to, this country to destroy it. And it was or, or whether or not he intended to destroy it, he certainly doesn't care about it. He certainly doesn't and, care about it. And you can throw Oz in that, that category, too. Mm-hmm. Another a, a despicable uh, person who comes to this country and uh, betters himself and tries to destroy our country with, with yeah. lies. But uh, thank you, Joan. I'll let other callers. Thank you. I appreciate that call, Ron. Uh, Lawrence is calling in from Glenview, Illinois. Go ahead, Lawrence. Never mind. Yes, how how are you? Good. Uh, They talk about crime being up, and the Republicans blame the Democrats. However, when you have guns on the street, the more guns, more crime. And then when you have the cost of living going up at the same time, this is just a recipe for disaster for increased crime. You know what's interesting about that, Lawrence? Um, Judd Legum, who is a real data guy, does a great newsletter called Popular Information. He put out a graph that the Pew Research Center, which is a nonpartisan, just by the data, um, over the last 30 years, violent crime is down dramatically. It, there's a Judd Legum. It's at Judd Legum. If you want to look at uh, the graph, I should retweet it. I'll do that right now. Simple assault, aggravated assault, robbery, rape, sexual assault are just they're like at uh, 16.5. Whereas in 1993, it was 79.8. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And he, what he posted was America's violent crime wave, unquote, is a hoax. Over the last 30 years, violent crime is down dramatically, and there is no recent increase. It's a Republican talking point. They do it every election. Ooh, crime, crime. You want to be safe? You better vote for a Republican. You know those Democrats can't be trusted. Ugh. Okay, so my question then is, why don't the Democrats fight back? You know, the Democrats don't seem to be... You know, it's 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 a lot easier to throw stones than it is to try to get a positive message out. But I agree with you. You know, we've talked on this show before about how there should be some kind of squad of people like Eric Swalwell or Cory Booker or Pete Buttigieg, 
people who can really get out there and can speak passionately and clearly. And once you listen to them, you go, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's exactly right. We need to make sure that we get more of those people out there. I agree with you. I mean, when I saw this graph, I was, I mean, I do this for every day. And I saw this graph and I was like, huh, I'll be darned, you know, and it's from the Pew Research Center. It's not from some partisan camp. Very well respected. Yeah. Amazing. I agree with you. We need to fight a little harder, not necessarily dirtier, just harder and more passionate and, and more straight talk. You know, that's what I think people liked about Bernie Sanders. You know, whether you agreed with every idea he had or not, you always knew that whatever he told you, he believed and he believed passionately. And sometimes I think that with with Democrats, it always sounds like some sort of academic lecture instead of somebody passionately telling you what they believe in too often. Well, Lawrence, thank you for the call. I'm going to going to hang up because I'm going to try to keep moving here. Um, let's go to Paul, our good friend who is calling in from Seattle. Hello, Paul. How are you today? Hi, Joan. Uh, happy Friday. Um, so let's let's look at the media take on the economy. By the way, I totally agree with George. I, I have often been astonished at the AP feed being on WCPT. I just thought must be. I presume that it was because there was no other option. But if there really, is, you know, it's interesting that you say that, because after I took George's call, I got a text from somebody who said that they agreed with George 100 percent and that the AP right. was not the straight shooter that you would hope it to be. Interesting. Not that they might not that they might have once been, but none of my I mean, listen, here's the economy. We've probably heard about the, the Biden economy, the weak Biden economy, the soft Biden economy that created 261,000 jobs in October, beating analysts' expectations, which prompted Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, to raise interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point to cool the economy. Apparently, Mm. the economy's too hot. (laughs) I mean, so what he thinks is, and this really cracks me up, this is the Republican approach to the inflation problem, which is, that it's, it's what you should do is make it too expensive to do business so that rather than just have high prices, people will be out of work. And so, in other words, I guess there you go. That's a solution. If we hadn't created the two hundred and sixty one thousand jobs and that because you see our unemployment was three point five percent and now it's three point seven percent, which is still very, very healthy. But the next thing we'd be hearing once inflation comes down is. Oh, unemployment, very, very bad for the Biden economy. There's no way he can win. I mean, it's just like. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's re- he really is. He's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. It's exactly. Uh, it's it would yeah. be laughable if it weren't so tragic. It, it totally is. And and this is the one tool that the Republican and Jerome Powell was appointed by Donald Trump in 2018. You know, what did he do? He cut interest rates to what was it down to point. The prime rate was 0.5%. It was ridiculously, it was almost like they were going to pay you to take money. And it was exactly. The Trump tax cuts and low interest rates that created the inflation problem to begin with, which was hanging out in the stock market. The stock market was way, way overinflated. And now that, you know, and now there's all oh, inflation, and now we have it, and it's that it was created by Republican policies. And now, just like Paul Volcker did back in when Jimmy Carter was president, Paul Volcker raised interest rates to twenty percent. They have like yep. one tool in their in their toolbox, and it's called a hammer. 
And it's like, <laughs> so in other words, he was, Jerome Powell was all hot for cutting interest rates when Donald Trump was president. But or, yeah, and now that, uh, oh, we have inflation, have to make it too expensive to do business. So all of those jobs that, uh, that President Biden created under his watch, which uh, nobody wants to recognize, we have to get rid of them now. After we just created 261,000, I guess it would be better if we hadn't created any of those. So those people could be out of work and then unemployment go up to five, six percent. And then they all say, oh, the Biden unemployment rate. So terrible. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is. Absolutely. It's absurd. It is absurd on the face of it and in every other in every other way. Yeah. Joe Biden can't catch a break. He really he really can't. Um, and especially, you know, when we also were so aware of the, the really horrible things Donald Trump was doing and saying and how he really got the kid glove treatment from the media for such a long time. And even toward the end, frankly, I don't think he was uh, being treated as he should have been all along. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And it must be so frustrating at the White House, um, you know, that that no matter what they do, oh, jobs are down. That's bad. Oh, jobs are up. That's bad. Everything's bad. That's bad, too. That doesn't matter what it is. One last thing I just have to say. So why is the, the name Mandela Barnes is kind of a strange name? and He's not one of us, but Mehmet Oz isn't a strange name. And he is one of us. <laughs> I can't even Please. say his name. Mem- Mehmet Mehmet. Oh, I know. I agree with you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for that call. Um, We are going to uh, take a break. We are going to return to politics later in the day. But for the next 30 minutes, we are going to do one of my favorite things we do here on WCPT. We have a sponsored segment, Pet of the Month. Um, I think we all need a moment or two of Zen So we're going to do that when we come back, and then we're going to dive right back into politics after that. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Well, this is your moment of zen. If you go to heartlandsignal.com, uh, up in the upper left corner, you click on WCPT, our main homepage comes up, and you will see a picture of Juna, who is lovely and is looking for a home. This is our sponsored Pet of the Month segment. I am joined by Tracy Elliott, President and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, and our favorite pharmacist, Craig Badagowski with Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, I really need this time. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for you know, the, uh, um, politics to talk about something important, Joan. Yes. Well, Joan, you know, uh, uh, Craig, I usually talk to you about, you know, ways and different herbal remedies and things used to calm down dogs. Um, any of those work for me? Would any of those remedies work for me? 
<laughs> well, one of the ones that does seem to come up pretty often is the CBD, which is available for uh, felines, canines, and humans at uh, both marked drugs locations. Now, I didn't mean to say that you didn't talk about that politics isn't important. It sure is. But we've got to keep in mind that cats and dogs that need to be adopted are not Republicans or Democrats. They just need a home to which they can live and uh, live out their lives with a, a loving family. So that's what we're here to You're do. Here. A half hour just to take a little break of it. Mark, yes. you've got my vote. <laughs> yeah. um, Tracy, talk to us about Juna. Sweets. Um, goofy, um, and really a delightful, a delightful little dog, not little dog, but a delightful medium to large size dog. I, I, uh, went down to see her last week, I think when we were supposed to be on and the news intervened, but I haven't had a chance to spend any time with her this week, but, um, she's, she's lovely. And I, I think she's going to make someone a great companion. Well, she's really cute, and she's got some killer ears, man. Those ears mm-hmm. look like they would uh, hear everything within a 10-block uh, radius. Um, That's right. Uh, That's right. Now, Tracy, I know some people got confused. I was watching posts on social media, and a lot of the shelters were like, let's, you know, let's have a big adoption event. Let's clear out our shelters so we can take dogs from Florida with the hurricane. And I saw somebody post, oh, my God, why would you take a dog from Florida if they lost their family? They should be reunited. And that's not what we're talking mm-hmm. about. We are talking about dogs that were in these shelters in Florida that were strays. They were up for adoption. And those are the dogs that get sent away so that the shelters have room for the displaced pets that they will have to care for in the short term as as people recover from the the hurricane. Now, is Juno one of those Florida dogs? You know, I don't know the answer to that, Joan, but I can certainly find out. I don't believe so. Um, but thank you for, for bringing that up because it is a misconception. For instance, well, first of all, let me just say the industry learned a lot from Katrina. I mean, that was the moment of truth, and we didn't do all that well. So since then, the whole industry has coordinated disaster response, um, and it does exactly what you said. It takes adoptable dogs in shelters that are, you know, on the hurricane path or any other kind of natural disaster. Forgive me. I'm sorry. That's my phone. Um, And clears them out, brings them north so they can find homes, and then dogs that are displaced from their homes by the natural disaster can be held for their owners to search for them and find them. So it's really important. For instance, the the shelter we got our dog from was on the other coast of Florida, um, and they were clearing out so that they could send transports over and uh, pick up dogs that were stray uh, or help those shelters over there uh, clear their shelters for stray dogs. So that's a a really Mm -hmm. good distinction, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Do uh, does anti cruelty give people instructions on how to introduce a new animal to a home where there are already animals? Because I know some people just you know you know bring a new animal home and just wait for everybody to um, make peace with one another. But then I've I've also talked to people who um, restrict. Like there was a there's a social media account that I follow with these two dogs. And the woman who runs the account said that when the second, when they first brought the second dog home as a puppy, they took mm-hmm. their time. Like the first day, they only had them together for an hour. 
one dog was right. already grown up and the puppy was all in his face. And then they kept doing that and extending the time that the two dogs spent together so the big dog wouldn't be overwhelmed by the puppy. What do you guys recommend? Right. We recommend that you bring your existing animal into the adoption center and our staff will help you do a safe meet and greet. So we have people who are trained to make sure that that meet and greet is safe. We just don't throw two dogs in a room. Um, but we get some idea of how they're going to get along. It doesn't necessarily mean that first meeting is going to be how they get along forever, but at least it does give you some idea of how sensitive your current animal is going to be to having a new animal. Obviously, uh, the best test is in the house because some dogs are fine with other dogs outside of the home. They're territorial at home. So we recommend that, um, that you, if that is not working out, bring the dog back. We never, ever judge you or say it's a bad thing to bring a dog back to the shelter if it's not working. We want everyone to be happy. The other option is to do a foster. You could do a temporary uh, foster and just see how it goes. And, of course, with fostering, you haven't signed anything. All you're doing is giving an animal in the shelter a break uh, from the shelter. And, again, if it doesn't work out, uh, the foster can be brought home or brought back, rather, immediately. Uh, But we do have people who are trained to do it. And we do have instructions when you get an animal as to how to do it by yourself at home if that's the only option. And um, I would like to um, promote your foster program. Both my partner Ray and I are um, fosters with anti-cruelty. And we did have to take a class, but we took it online. And yes, there was a test, but I felt fully prepared for it. And it's a, right. it's, it's really important to get wherever, if you ever have any interest in fostering, I know, don't jump into it blind because they're, you know, I've had dogs Correct. my whole life and cats. And when we took the foster course, there were things that I learned. And also there are, when you foster, there are certain rules. There are certain things that you're not supposed to do with a foster pet that you might do with your own pet. And it's really right. important to learn the rules of the road and how to, care but uh but like i said it was an online course we signed up for it it was easy to do and part of the reason why i'm talking about this now is i know anti-cruelty and other shelters a lot of times the people who are fostering animals you know over thanksgiving maybe they go to see relatives or maybe over the christmas holidays they're going to be traveling and they sort of need fosters for the fosters (laughs) yes so That's even if, correct. you know, you can't commit to a, a foster to adopt situation, you know, Ray and I are uh, actually Ray doesn't know this yet because uh, I didn't tell him. We, I signed us both up to to do maybe holiday vacation relief. You know, when we were oh, first wonderful. fostering, we had people who did that for us. And, you right. know, you can, you know, take a foster pet into your home for a few days yeah. or a week if it helps. That's correct. Thank you so much for promoting that because it's so important, especially now. All the shelters in Chicago and, frankly, all over the country are full. Um, Something's going on regarding adoption and foster where both numbers are going down all over the country. There's just an article put out recently um, by, um, I believe, the Shelter Animals Count, which is our sort of our major database of uh, shelters in the country, that intakes are 7.3% higher than outcomes right now. Life outcomes. Ooh. We're we're seeing it. Everybody's seeing it. Um, everybody in Chicago. Really? 
Yes. Do you have any yes, idea why? Exactly what I... We're analyzing it. Um, it's clearly a post-pandemic you know, anomaly because uh, the numbers were all going in the opposite direction before the, before the uh, pandemic. So we really don't know why. So if, if you can't uh, adopt or don't wish to adopt, if you could foster, we even have a weekend foster program. We even have a take the dog out for a day program now where you can just come get a little bit of training and take a dog out on a walk just to get them out of the shelter. We are so full that any kind of stimulation and uh, enrichment like that will be helpful. If you can foster for the long term, uh, that's super great because that's the best price for an animal, for a dog or a cat or a bunny or a guinea pig uh, or a snake or a rat who's a pet, you know, not in a shelter. We need to... Anti-cruelty... I'm sorry, anti-cruelty.org. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Give the website before we go to a break. Yes, anti-cruelty.org backslash foster and get read all the information about it and sign up for the class. Yes. Um, we're ne- we need to take a break. Craig, when we come back, um, our little rescue dog, Willow, just um, what day is today? Friday. Just gosh, was it just this Monday? Uh, just this Monday, Willow had his uh, second knee replacement surgery. So I'd like to talk to you about different ideas you have for how we can make Willow's recovery faster and less painful. And I may need, I, I may need some of that sedation for Ray as well. Uh, we're going to be right back after this. Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. This is our regular Pet of the Month segment. Um, We are bringing this to you courtesy of Anti-Cruelty and Craig Bodogowski of Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Craig uh, Willow just had his second knee operation last night. I sat in his cage with him holding frozen peas to his leg for an hour. Uh, what else can I do to help him be more comfortable? Okay, I'll, I'll, that, is, that image is very cute of you helping out uh, Willow <laughs> and actually being physically in the cage because I know he's, a, um, he's basically a small horse. So he's probably got a <laughs> yes. Well, I used uh, to have a mastiff, so I have a mastiff cage. It's like literally four <laughs> sure. feet tall and three feet wide and five feet deep. So there's room for both Willow and me. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, before I get to that, though, I did want to just um, circle back to the uh, how much this tragedy in Florida with the animals that are being um, you know sent elsewhere so they can be adopted while other animals that were lost in the storm can be retrieved. Mm-hmm. Um, that just highlights the importance of having your pets shipped because yeah. that is the number one way to be able to retrieve your loved one if something, a disaster like that happens. So really, if, you have, if you're on the fence about getting your pet shipped, if you want to make sure that you actually get your pet back, when, God forbid, something like that happens, you have to have uh, the, the animal shipped. And I also wanted to um, reiterate that I can't believe that uh, anti-cruelty is so um, there. You're able to foster an animal for a weekend, for a couple, for a yes. month, for a week, for a weekend, yes. for a day. Right. right. Having that opportunity, you never know that you might be the next foster failure. You know, you think that you don't. <laughs> 
want to adopt a dog until you take a dog for a walk. And all of a sudden, that's all you're thinking about when you return the dog to the shelter. But uh, the matter at hand is the uh, is Willow. And I know that this is the second um, surgery, major surgery, by the way. I mean, it's fairly routine, but it's still traumatic. The, the animal was sedated wakes up in tremendous pain for the second time. So there's going to be uh, a lot of stress involved. Um, now, number one and two is the pain medication that Willow's going to need right away. Uh, I'm sure the doctor prescribed something along the lines of Rimadyl or Carprofen. We, uh, carprofen and gabapentine. Ah, okay. So um, gabapentine is something that humans usually use just for nerve pain. A human takes it, takes a while to kick in. you got to get pretty high doses, and I really don't think it works very well in humans to begin with. However, it's used commonly and only for nerve pain. In a canine, it actually works pretty quickly on nerve pain as well, and there's going to be some nerve pain involvement because, after all, you know, if there was surgery, there's knives involved and uh, plenty of of pain that uh, is derived from, uh, from the nerves. But it actually works as a sedative and a pretty quick-acting um, painkiller for canines and felines. So uh, whereas humans, it takes a while, you use it for more chronic pain, for a uh, canine using gabapentine will, you know, for lack of a better word, knock them out. It can be used at higher doses, a tranquilizer if needed. You, you did kind of joke about things for anxiety and things for stressful, stressful uh, situations. And gabapentin is one of those that can be used immediately after surgery. And um, just it's something that, especially if the doctors don't want to have to use opiates, and I know that we, in previous discussions, talked about uh, Willow's um, digestive issues. Uh, opiates are something that can you know, sometimes make that a little bit worse. So gabapentin being something that will help with pain, will help very quickly, and lasts probably about 12 hours, even for a small horse like Willow, <laughs> is um, a good option. Now, the Rimadyl or the Carprofen is something that works on the inflammation. So the source of the pain is uh, the inflammation that's uh, happening around the surgical wound. It's all, you know, the, the doctors can see it coming. Some surgeries go better than others, but having that on board is going to be something that will reduce the inflammation and reduce the pain. So ideally, it's going to be on Rimadyl uh, for, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, gabapentin as well, and they might start to withdraw that. And when it comes to that point, um, you know, Willow having a predisposition for dwarfism uh, is, is something that you might want to benefit from using something on the more natural spectrum like glucosamine to hopefully mm-hmm. prevent arthritis from becoming debilitating in the future. It's like the checks in the mail, it's going to happen just because of his predisposition, but it can be so insignificant or you can reduce the severity of it in the long run by getting on the uh uh, the glucosamine and possibly even fish oil, which uh, has a second benefit of helping with good uh, skin and good uh, healthy coat. So those are two things that I would think in the long run, short term, the Rimadyl and gabapentin should do the trick. Middle term, if you're trying to use something a little more natural, there are products like the CBD we've discussed plenty of times, but also Boswellia extract is something that works as a more natural, gentle anti-inflammatory than Rimadyl, because you won't want to be on Rimadyl for a long period of time. Uh, A couple of weeks, a month or two, no problem. Long term, if you are relying on Rimadyl to keep Willow out of pain, there's probably better options, and I think fish oil 
phosphoralia, and glucosamine are something that can be used for a longer period of time and have fewer side effects. Well, I've seen, we've got something uh, that's some, it might be glucosamine. It's got some commercial name. It's a blend. And because it's made for dogs, it tells you what the dose is. But fish oil, if I just go to a pharmacy and buy fish oil, how do I know? Are there different kinds of fish oil? How do I know what the proper dosage is? Well, there there are um, plenty of different types of fish oil and of varying qualities. You do, like when you look at a bottle of fish oil, it'll often say how much EPA and DHA is within it. So it says it's 1,000 milligrams of fish oil, and underneath that it might say it's 500 milligrams of EPA and 300 milligrams of DHA. The EPA, that's the one that is most important for joint pain. So look for something, something like Will, someone like Willow, it's probably not going to matter because no matter how large that horse pill is, Will is going to take it. When you come to smaller animals, you want to make sure it's not flavored with lemon or something that would not yeah. be very palatable for. Well, that was my next like question. Or a small dog. Can Willow and I take the same fish oil? <laughs> well, that's a question for you. I'm sure well, Willow won't have any problems, but if you don't like the taste, it could yeah. be an issue. So you might want a lemon-flavored fish oil or something that oh. has an enteric coating so that you don't get the fishy burps. Uh, I don't think Willow's going to really care. So um, either way, you absolutely can. It is the same type of fish oil, you know, usually made from sardines, anchovies, and salmon. Um, and there's other fish they can use, too. I'm sure whatever it's made out of, as long as it doesn't have a very strong citrusy flavor, you put that on some food and Willow will have no problem with it. I can't say the same about you. <laughs> hey, Tracy, um, I know that November is National Adopt a Senior Pet Month. Um, tell right. people about adopting a senior. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I've done that myself, and it, uh, it's a very special thing. They, it, it, senior dogs can be completely healthy and have no problems whatsoever, but we also have senior dogs who have health issues, and you might have to administer medications or do some specific things, but I'll tell you, there's nothing. I My first senior dog that I adopted was very medically fragile, and... Uh, I got him for four and a half years. They told me I would have a lot less time with him, but he he stayed around four and a half years. And I've never done anything that I felt better about. They also give you an incredible amount of love back. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually they're quieter and uh, more sedate. Certainly they're my two puppies, as you can just hear one of them bark. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you, you know, you give that senior animal who has usually been surrendered because their owner dies or their owner goes into a, you know, a, a nursing home or some facility um, and have they've loved that owner, you give them another home for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing more fulfilling than that. So thank you for bringing that up. And we always have senior dogs uh, and of all sizes and all types. So if that's something you're specifically interested in, please, you know, let us know and uh, we'll help you match with one. But that, that, that is really one of the greatest things you can do in life, I think, is to give a senior animal, cats too, people love senior cats, you know, a home for the rest of their lives, which may be long or maybe short. You never know. I've had stories where people have told me that they had adopted an animal that was supposed to live two months and, you know, six years later, the animal's still there. And I think what that yeah. about is that's about good care and love. 
And I'd like to dispel a myth because I think some people were, I've heard people say, well, I don't want a, I don't want a senior dog because that dog already loves a different person and they'll never love me quite the same way as a puppy. And I don't think that's true at all. I think dogs and cats and other animals, I think they have very big hearts and there's room for everybody. Very adaptable. Um, and I can tell you that my, uh, my little chihuahua senior, uh, usually had only one person that he loved, and he loved me. I mean, he, with his three teeth and his eight pounds, if anybody <laughs> thought anybody was threatening me, he would go right at him. And people would laugh at it, but uh, no, you are exactly right. They will love you, uh, and you will get a great deal of love back from them. Well, we want everybody to know that if you go to WCPT820.com, if you get on, we're both Heartland Signal and CPT820.com. It's the same site. Um, But if you get on Heartland Signal, make sure you click on WCPT in the upper left corner, and it'll take you to our homepage where you will see Juna in all of her beauty, and she is a doll. To me, she looks like a small dog, but, you know, I have obviously clear, clearly dog body dysmorphia. They all look like right. small dogs to me unless they're like 160 pounds. Um, but right. she is just she looks like she's just a doll that has so much to yeah. give. And I, I hope somebody who's listening to us will give her a shot. Thank you so much. And I tell you what, Joan, if, if anyone comes in and wants to adopt Juna and they say the word Joan, we will waive the adoption fee. <laughs> Woohoo! Good job. Not only is she cute, but the adoption fee is waived. Your name is Magic. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much. I really Thank appreciate, you. you know, the way that you guys take the time to do this and and give us pets to talk about. And, uh, Craig, you do such great work at Mark Drugs, and thank you both for supporting us, and we're so happy to be able to support the two of you as well. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Joan. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Be well. Thank you, Craig. Take care. I'll be in touch. Ray's going to need sedatives if this dog doesn't get better fast. Um, We are going to take a break for news and be back with more politics right after this. This hour of Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive on WCPT 820. Okay, I hope you enjoyed your moment of zen. Now we are back to politics and the midterm elections. We are talking to one of my favorite people to have on the radio, Spencer Critchley. You know him as the author of Patriots of Two Nations. Spencer, how are you today? Well, generally good, except when I think (laughs) about what's going on in our country and the world. Yeah, well, yeah, other somebody just the other day. I mean, my my life generally, I I feel so lucky. My life, my personal life is wonderful, but like so many people, you know, it's the world. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't know if pollsters were always reliable, but it seems to me that when all the polls were so wrong in 2016, ever since then, you know, I haven't trusted a polling. I think that the way the world is changing with people who are now being told to lie to pollsters and people like me who just won't talk to them and people who are hard to track down because they have cell phones or all this, this other stuff. I refuse 
to get either too excited or too sad when I see a poll that looks like a certain um, election isn't going to break the way I hope it is. What do you think when you read the polls? Yeah, I I agree with that, basically. And uh, I think it's harder than ever to do accurate polling for the reasons you just described. There's no way I would take a phone poll. And I think many people feel that way. Um, And I know that pollsters are struggling with alternatives to try to come up with accurate polling. Um, They're not as wildly inaccurate as people tend to think they are. You know, in retrospect, when you go back and check the results, they're not usually way out of bounds from the polls, but they're inaccurate enough that you can't really predict electoral outcomes from them, um, which which was actually always true. But it does seem it does seem worse lately. You know, one thing I would really highlight for people on the left is that there are two notable ways to respond to polling in our uh, politics that characterize the right and the left. And, and other people have said this before. When the right sees a poll they don't like, they set about changing it, right, by doing an aggressive communication campaign to change what people believe, and they feel unconstrained about whether they need to say things that are true or not. But when the left sees a poll they don't like, they tend to panic, you know, or they tend to accept it as some kind of unchangeable reality. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, what I like is a mix of the two where you, you take the rights approach where you just set about changing the poll, but you don't resort to lies. And there are candidates who are good at that. You know, Tim Ryan demonstrated how to do that on Fox News. I don't know if you saw the Fox News. No, tell me about that. Or excerpts from it just uh, a short while ago, just a few days ago. You know, Tim Ryan is the candidate in Ohio running against J.D. Vance. And you have to ask yourself, as in so many of these races, how could it even be close? Amen. Uh, you know, with a choice between any decent human being with basic integrity and somebody like a J.D. Vance uh, or many of these other uh, candidates that the Republicans are putting up lately. But Tim Ryan went on Fox News for a town hall knowing, you know, the, the mm. deck would be stacked against him. Um, and if you watch clips from it, you'll see him really win over the audience, including while under attack. So at one point, he's talking about the January 6th insurrection. And the audience was actually sympathetic to the idea that that was wrong. Thank God. They were at least with him that far. And then when he mentioned that Officer Brian Sicknick was killed by that insurrection, you know, technically he died the next day, then he got a lot of booze because they don't want to believe that. And he stood his ground. And, and if you watch it, it almost doesn't matter what he said. It's just that he projected um, strength, confidence, courage, and the courage of his convictions. And I'm convinced that's what won over the audience. And a short time later, they were applauding him and giving him cheers. This huh. is a Fox News town hall audience. And that's such a key point because Democrats keep across the board, you know, from progressives to centrists, keep searching for what's the magic message, what's the magic combination of words. And I think they keep missing the point. It's really not so much the content of the message as the way you deliver it. Yeah. As Marshall McLuhan said way back in the 60s, the medium is the message. And one way of interpreting that is it's the way you present the message. Because, you know, this isn't an exact figure, but we could say as a rule of thumb, 90% of persuasion is emotional. And people are just deciding whether they trust you or not. And that's all nonverbal, non-content related. And so Tim Ryan, you know, I think is a great example of 
how to do it. You know, people. But is they, is what he's able to do like you because they just like you. Is it is it who he is or does he have something that can be taught to other candidates? Uh I would say yes and no and yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Spencer is. Critchley, we right. have pinned him down. <laughs> so you if you wanted, I'll tell you what, you wanted both sides of I gave you three sides of <laughs> <laughs> No, so what I mean by that is, yes, it's who he, who he is. He's projecting an authentic sense of who he is. And just being able to do that, it almost doesn't matter who you actually are. It's what pe- people are just they're looking for somebody to trust, and they're judging that based on these nonverbal cues of, can I trust this person? Uh, can it be taught? No, if you think that you can teach it by having a class and teaching people the method to do this. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is where the left goes wrong so often by being so stuck in their heads. They think everything can be explained. Every, you know, that rational intelligence is the only intelligence, and all of the world can be understood rationally. But this is a non-rational process. So it can't be taught if you try to teach it that way. You see the outcome when you see these people who have been through media training who are trying to imitate authenticity or traditional politicians who used to get away with this stuff uh, by, by going through you know, media training or p- political consultant coaching for their, for their campaign appearances, try to come across as you know, part of the gang of you know, Phillies fans at the corner bar you know, go to Philly and order the cheesesteak and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can't be taught that way. People are increasingly just really infuriated by that because they've seen it way too often. But it can be taught if you're willing to learn how to just open up and discover who you really are. And it, it's more about learning how to be comfortable in your own skin, in your own body, and just project the sense that you're comfortable there and this is who you are. But that's all nonverbal. And that's not a rational sort of checklist process. It's, it's actually more like becoming an actually good actor. An act, you know, a, a truly good actor is not acting. You know, they're not trying to trick mm-hmm. you. They're actually inhabiting the role, right? They're, they have become that person. That's why it works. Uh, and it's like any great performer, what they're really doing uh, is showing you an emotional truth. That's the skill of a truly talented performer is projecting truth, whether it's in music or dance or speaking or whatever. And that's, so that's the tough part, you know, and and nobody wants to do the hard work of learning how to actually be themselves and project genuine authenticity. They hope there's a shortcut where you can learn a method to, in effect, fake it. Well, Um, and too, with some of these folks, I think there's a comfort level. And, and conversely, I think that there are people who may be very uncomfortable speaking in public. Maybe, you know, they might be great policy wonks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they convey a sense of calm and a warmth when they're when they're talking to people. And I, you know, because I used to, uh, many years ago, I used to do some media training. And it's funny that what you're talking about, because the best communicators do get out of their head and sometimes, you know, I would have to work with a person and we would go over things and go over things and go over things um, to get them out of their head and have them talk to somebody, one heart to another heart, you know, just 
the way people relate. And and some people, I think, feel I, I don't know if this is always true of politicians, but, you know, when I was counseling book authors or doctors or, or lawyers who are going to be interviewed, you know, there's this I think this sense that if they get more in their head, they sound more intelligent and they sound more learned. Um, but but that's not that is not the way. People want to hear them. I, I counseled a doctor who was going to be on television, and we went over. He was one of the few people who actually knew what he was going to get asked about. And when he, when I asked him the question and had him give me his answer, it was so it was like suitable for an academic journal, and and you know, and and other doctors would be very impressed, but not the audience that he was going to be speaking to. And it took it took a good hour to get him to just talk like people talk. But once he did, he was great. But it's it's yeah. it's a hard thing to do sometimes. Oh, yeah, it's an enormous struggle. And, you know, the difference in politics is the difference between a politician and a bureaucrat. And unfortunately, uh, especially since since uh, the baby boom, I would say, uh the left has lost track of the distinction and has become very technocratic with exceptions, you know, JFK, um, Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. Barack Obama, Barack Obama, big time. Um, but, you know, we, you and I have talked about this before as qualified as she was. Hillary Clinton is like a brilliant bureaucrat, mm-hmm. not an effective politician. Katie Hobbs, unfortunately, and it's terrifying uh, running against just the most, execrably unprincipled person in, in the form of Carrie Lake, former Obama voter Carrie Lake, who might very well end up as the governor of Arizona, the election denying democracy overturning, just as I say, completely unprincipled Carrie Lake. Yeah, so Katie, absolutely. You know, God bless her. Um, she, she seems like a, a very good person, you know, very intelligent, qualified, good record, and just a terrible candidate. And, and uh, you know, in that case, I asked myself, why are you running for office? You seem so desperately unhappy to be doing it. <laughs> yeah, but, I know. But, you know, and there's a lot at stake here. And, you know, I think we need to speak frankly like this, um, especially if it's constructive, if it's towards, you know, building a stronger Democratic Party going forward. And this is not to assume we're going to lose terribly on Tuesday, because, as you say, I think we have absolutely no way of knowing. Even yeah. if the polls are super accurate. They're snapshots of time, so a poll's results are obsolete, you know, within minutes after the, the poll is taken, let alone reported. Um, we need to take a break. I'm speaking to Spencer Critchley. He ha- he's the author of a book, Patriots of Two Nations. He also has a podcast that uh, we are going to be talking about, Dastardly Cleverness. We're going to be uh, at Dastardly Cleverness is on, on Twitter for at least as long as Twitter exists. Uh, we'll be back with more right after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. The Devil's Advocates. But do you think the Biden administration's called up Laura Ingram and making the announcement to the world that we're invading Russia with amphibious troops? Come on, Trump. I mean, and I want to hear fine Trumpsters that want to defend that crap. You know, he's a little late for the early bird buffet. Maybe you people were just naive marks who believed he was a super genius. 
Then I got some uh, land I'd like to sell you outside of Fukushima. The Devil's Advocates on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, weeknights, 6 to 8. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Here in Arizona, uh, there's no question that, that Katie Hobbs' opponent, she's good in front of the camera because she's been doing it for a long time. Right? So, some people don't know this, but uh, apparently Carrie Lake actually interviewed me back in 2016 when I was president. She was a, she was a local news anchor. She was doing her job. I, I have to admit, uh, uh, I don't have you know, a, a clear memory of the interview. It's a little fuzzy. But I, I do know this. At the time, I don't remember thinking that she was the kind of person who would push debunked COVID remedies or promise to issue a declaration of invasion at our border or claim without any evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. I guess that stuff came later because she found it convenient because she thought, well, here's an opportunity to get attention. Listen, if we hadn't just elected somebody whose main qualification was being on TV, you could see maybe giving it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? Well, now we know. It doesn't just work out just because somebody's been on TV. Turns out, turns out being president or governor is about more than snappy lines and good lighting. It's about more than having a good anchor voice. It's about understanding what people are going through. It's about coming up with real solutions for how to make your life better. This isn't a reality show. If Carrie Lake is your governor, we know what she'll be focused on because Donald Trump told us. He said if somebody asked Carrie, how's your family? She says the election was rigged and stolen. I'm joined by Spencer Critchley, whose book uh, is Patriots of Two Nations. Spencer, why is he so good? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I think like a lot of people listening to that, you know, it just you miss him, don't you? I do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, thank God he's campaigning. Uh, one of the things. Again, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Democrats forming circular firing squads, which they really love to do. So I've always been really reluctant to engage in the, you know, the criticism, uh, the internal uh, criticism that Democrats love to do. But I think we're actually in a state of crisis, not just for the party, but for the uh, for democracy itself. And without, you know, yelling at each other and tearing each other down, we need to do a constructive self-evaluation. And, you know, this is an example. Obama is a brilliant politician, a brilliant persuader, and a deeply honest and good person. And, you know, nobody can imitate him. He has unique gifts, and nobody should try to imitate him, but they should take the lesson of learning how to communicate in their own way with that kind of authenticity from the heart uh, and, and honesty as well. And also the the lessons in how to do it from the Obama campaigns, because those 
They were, it wasn't just Obama's charisma. Those were, as many people will tell you, professionals in politics will tell you on the right and the left, the Obama campaign may have been the best campaigns ever run in the history of the United States, uh, just in terms of the expertise and, you know, the intelligence and the strategic brilliance and the discipline and everything about it was just amazing. And the Democratic Party, I'm sorry to say, has kind of thrown away those lessons. You know, a lot of the stuff you see going on now with everybody being buried in these untargeted emails, you know, and the mishmash of messaging and stuff. This is an example of a party that just apparently can't be bothered, you know, to learn from success. And we need to face that. I think it's really, it's a crisis at the state level as well. The state parties, some of them are good, but a lot of them are missing in action. And, you know, they're kind of a bunch of old party loyalists, apparently, who rather take each other out to dinner and, meetings and go to the convention, I suppose. I'm not sure what a lot of these state parties do. And we have to look at all of this stuff because, you know, the Republicans, as we see, have not been sleeping. No, they have definitely not been sleeping. Uh, Spencer, tell me about your podcast. Oh, sure. Thanks for mentioning it. And and people need to know that uh, I'm going to be rerunning one of our interviews because I thought it was so, so useful. I always enjoy talking to you so much. Uh, so with your permission, we're going to rerun one of our recent interviews with you um, interviewing me. Um, and then I, I want to do one where you're my actual guest. So you get to, you know, talk, try to talk as long as I can talk. And question, I'll, I'll challenge you. Oh, man, you give um, yeah, you oh. give me a question and let me run free. And you'll say you'll say, Joan, we got to go. Joan, we're out of Joan. We're out of time. Joan, you got to <laughs> oh, stop. Okay. Well, that's. Well, make me feel a little better about my, you know, 10-minute answers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the podcast is called Dastardly Cleverness in the Service of Good, and it can be found on any podcast app or at dastardlycleverness.com. And as you mentioned just before the break on Twitter, we're at Dastardly Clever, but we'll see how long that lasts because that looks kind of <laughs> questionable. Uh... But, yeah, Dastardly Cleverness in the Service of Good, and we focus on talking to people who are um, – leaders in the area of trying to make the world better and actually doing something about it, you know, who have practical approaches to actually getting things done. Uh, And lately we've been really focusing on politics because, you know, I think that whether or not we have a democracy is the the first thing we have to be concerned with. But we also talk to people from, uh, you know, health and medicine or um, technology or, or all kinds of other fields who are doing things that are, you know, as I say, focused on trying to make the world better in some ways, in a way that's actually likely to produce results. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, Spencer, I mean, I think the people who listen to WCPT are a special audience and um, perhaps more astute or at least more into politics, but I worry that the average person, you know, whose first concern is their job, their kids, um, you know, all the errands they have to run, that kind of thing, you know, because I've been saying how important this election is do you think that message is getting through to just average folks who aren't government geeks like we are? Uh, it's, I think, certainly to some of them, but I don't think enough of them. So, you know, the, you can't say one thing about the population, any population, and certainly not a, a big population like the population in the United States. So there are lots of people who we would think of as, you know, ordinary working people, maybe don't have a college degree, 
but who do pay quite a lot of attention to politics and are quite well informed and, you know, think things through and, and understand what's at stake here and, and are deeply concerned. But then there are also lots of people, and this also includes people with advanced degrees and high incomes, you know, who really don't care, who treat uh, democracy kind of more or less like a vending machine as long as they're getting the services they need, you know, as long as they feel their requirements are being met, that's all they they really care about. So you'll see people who don't pay much attention until there's something on the ballot that directly affects them or their family. And then, you know, they're all about it. The thing is that it does sound as important as it is to, to us and your listeners. And on a visceral level, we get what it means. It does sound a bit conceptual to lots of people, you know, democracy is at stake. And then you look at the loss of trust in politicians and the media and people hear that and they say, well, I've been hearing, you know, predictions of catastrophe since I first started listening to, to political news. Everybody's mm-hmm. always saying it'll be a catastrophe if the other side wins. And, the, you know, the, the Trumpists are saying it's a catastrophe if we win. They're making accusations that sound very similar to what we're saying. It'll be yeah. the end of America. It'll be, you know, they hate America. They want to destroy democracy. They want to create a dictatorship. Well, that's actually what they are actually doing. Um, and for you know, one of the first times in American history, this kind of accusation, which has been made before against the right, is actually true. But we're in the position of trying to convince people that it is true. Yeah. Um, there's a great article by Tim Alberta in the, I think it's the latest Atlantic, uh, about this very issue. And, and it explores the, the problem of um, Democrats losing support among Hispanic voters who, as my friend uh, Mike Madrid, who's an expert in this area, points out are a really good bellwether for the working class generally because, you know, so many sort of Hispanic blue collar voters and, and middle class voters have been well, leaving the Democratic Party for some years now. And um, so Tim Alberta has a good article about this in The Atlantic. And he okay. gets into some of these issues like how do you talk to people about the end of democracy in ways they'll actually care about? And a lot of people in that article who are interviewed who are on the ground trying to do democratic organizing in Florida uh, for example, are, 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 have some good advice, you know, make sure you talk, you know who you're talking to and start with what they care about most. Yeah. Don't tell Spencer, them as usual, democracy. we've got to wrap this up too soon, but I want to get you back after the election, after we've got most of the votes counted so we can both do, um, you know, kind of an analysis of what happened and why we think it happened Uh, Thank you so much for being here. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Spencer Critchley, the book is Patriots of Two Nations. We're going to take a break and be back with Lynn Sweet right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Tune into the Tom Hartman Radio Program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Lynn Sweet is the Sun-Times Washington Bureau Chief, and along with reporter Mariah Rush, uh, they have published in one of the most recent editions of the Sun-Times an interesting article about an anti-J.B. Pritzker PAC 
and what it's doing to try to get black people to just not come out and vote. Lynn joins us now. Lynn, welcome to our radio show. Thanks for being here. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. So uh, talk to our listeners about uh, this anti-Pritzker pact. Pack. Well, actually, this is uh, the name of the pack is People Who Play by the Rules Pack. Ah, uh, Dan Proft at his finest. It is run by Dan Proft, who is a Republican political operative who gets most of his funding for his political activities from Republican mega donor and Lake Forest resident Richard Uline. So this is the pack that uh, is also part of if you connect the dots uh, with people, you know, Proft works with people and knows the people who also put out some of these uh, newspapers uh, that have been flooding voters' mailboxes. But I know I brought it up, but that's another issue. But it is, you know, it is part of this uh, anti-Pritzker effort that's coming oh, absolutely. ahead. Well, Lynn, I just got one yesterday. North Cook uh-huh. News, and it's the second one I've gotten. It's and and, and, and it's got Mary Mitchell on it. What? It's got oh, so. a picture of Mary Mitchell. It's a he he got caught saying the very things that a lot of black people suspect white people say when there are no black people in the room. Chicago Sun Times right. columnist Mary Mitchell. Well, I I have not seen that. Uh, so the the issue here is that these are papers that are run by a private company, just like any newspaper company, except except the content here is political messaging. Uh, I have not been one to call it fake newspapers. So let's just, uh, my my analysis is these are, uh, yes, they're papers full of political messaging. And as it happens, it's all anti-Pritzker. It is packaged to look like or give you the impression it might be a local paper. But then test number two is where is the local news? A story about uh, the local Chamber of Commerce doing something. A story about Mm -hmm. uh, some measure that the new book at the library. uh, Some uh, public works thing. uh, What the schools are serving for menus. Now, in some of these issues, and I don't know what's on the back page of the one you have, there are often pictures of teens who go to local high schools who are in sports. But there's no story. It's not like, you know, every, I know everybody's interested in high school sports. So there's not a big a story about the big game. Did you say you were in South Cook? Um, yes, this is the North South Cook South News. Cook. And, yes, it's a, the back page. Okay. I'm just so looking at it. It's like, all athletes. Right, but that, the, Right, but it's not like there's a story about Niles North battles no. Bang South, uh, you know, uh, on it. It's just pictures of, <laughs> and is it all boys that you're looking at? Yes, yes, all yeah. boys. So, mm-hmm. so it's not really, you know, that's the most local you get, and it's not a story. It's it's kind of portraits of people on teams. So it isn't what if you think having that mess that thinks you're getting local news, you're not. You're getting political messaging. One of my uh, conclusions of my analysis, buttressed by studies in the Columbia Journalism Review and others, is that this is uh, political messaging. Uh, there were uh, fact checks organizations uh, that have done of certain stories that found flaws in them. But political action committees have to disclose their donors. Then you could do more research and see who they are. 
because political action committees aren't always obvious who they are or what they are by the name. Look at this one, people who play by the rules. What is it? That doesn't tell you that they're a Republican-allied pack. So, but at least you could start doing your research because the name of the officers are there. And that's the issue. Uh, they operate like a newspaper in that they don't disclose the, the who they really are. And yet what they're delivering in the mailboxes is uh, political, what amounts to political uh, you know, messaging. And you guys were writing about these flyers that were appearing in Bronzeville, flyers uh, stuck under people's windshield wipers. Tell me what was in those. So this is another uh, project from Prof's PAC. And these uh, signs that appeared, and in the case of Bronzeville, flyers under cars, uh, basically uh, are making a blatant racial appeal, urging Chicago's black community to, um, as I said in one of them, punish Pritzker. So it doesn't say, and therefore vote for Bailey, which is what you would think you would want. We're close to the election. You're making a turnout appeal. So let's think of what's happening. The camp, the people who play by the rules pack has so much money that somebody was able to put together field workers to put out signs in some of the most heavily democratic parts of the city. They also, by putting these signs, only that uh, my reporting shows they've popped up in the areas of the city with African-American communities. Democratic black communities are places where the vote will likely be democratic. So if you somehow can turn off a voter and say, to heck with you, I'm not going to vote, that in a sense helps Bailey because the only path for him to become uh, governor is for Democrat J.B. Pritzker to not have an overwhelming vote come out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Uline family is, um, is really spending a ton of money. And I, I saw a report that said that billionaires, yesterday I reported this, billionaires um, right now, it looks like had spent eight hundred and eighty one million dollars in this election so far. And would the organization reporting this said that by the time the midterms come and go, it'll probably be close to a billion. Lynn, have we reached a point where rich people are deciding our elections? Uh, yes. And if it's a matter, let's say, of, of rich people maybe just donating into established uh, party funds, uh, you give a million to the Republican National Committee or a million to the Democratic National Committee, at least, uh, or, or, or you're just one of many in a pack. Uh, you know, what we're seeing now are political action committees that basically are sole source funding that they're only funded by a Ken Griffin or a candidacy only funded by a Ken Griffin or a Dick Uline or, you know, there are examples. Peter Thiel. Yes, but I must say in this election, especially in Illinois, uh, the one person on the Democratic side who's doing the most funding is the candidate himself, J.B. Pritzker. So it's transparent. We know that J.B. Pritzker is putting money into his election and to the election of people on the, on the Democratic ticket. So it's just clear. And you see him. He's out and about. He takes questions. He has, uh, 
he has to be held accountable. Uh, Dick Uline never gives interviews. He's accountable to no one. Yet he is one of the most powerful Republicans in the nation, and especially right now in the state of Illinois. Well, I think that um, he should sit down with you because uh, that would be an interview that I would pay good money to read <laughs> or to listen to. Uh, it's you've done you you always do such tremendous work, and I'm so glad you had a few minutes to share it with me and my my audience today, Lynn. Thank you so much for being here, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. You too. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Your only assignment for the weekend is the same assignment I give you all the time. Find something that brings you joy. I don't care what it is. I don't care how long it lasts, but you've got to find something that brings you joy. We are all in this together. We are all pulling in the same direction. We are going to accomplish our goals, but you need to arrive at the other end in good enough shape to enjoy it. I saw a class being advertised at the Botanic Garden Learn how to nurture your nervous system and calm your mind at Herbs for Calm and Restful Sleep. It's an online class. It is going to be offered the day after Election Day. And I thought to myself, (laughs) I need to know more about this. I need to talk to the woman who is teaching this class at the Botanic Garden. Botanic Garden, though it is online. Uh, her name is Dawn Petter, and she joins us now. Dawn, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm sorry. We're having a little bit of problems with the phones. Sorry. Um, well, while we're waiting for Lady B to uh, connect with Dawn, I was going to do this after we talked with Dawn, but I'll do it now. Remember this weekend, it is the dreaded daylight savings time ends weekend. Spring ahead, fall back. This is fall. That means we go backwards. So I don't, I don't know why they say it's change your clocks at like 2 a.m. Saturday. Uh, but at 2 a.m. Saturday, it will become 1 a.m. on Saturday. So don't get messed up. I personally have an appointment for Sunday morning, November 6th, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> Spring ahead, fall back. This weekend, we gain an hour, okay? And I feel I feel your pain for all the people who work weekends because I used to be one of those people who worked weekends. And for some reason, the weekend that was an extra hour was always a weekend I worked, and the weekend where it moved forward and you lost an hour, I was never working that weekend. I don't know why. I don't know why. Anyway, Lady B, do we have Dawn? Lady B? Okay. 
Um, well, I'm sorry. We have a little bit of a problem connecting here. Well, let me tell you more about what's going on at the Botanic Garden now, which I was going to ask Dawn about. But um, the Botanic Garden, a lot of people know that is a great place to just go and walk around and have a great time and, you know, look at things. But they have incredible classes. I took a Botany 101 class there that was that was really interesting. The woman who taught it, well, she was teaching us about botany, but she was a soil expert. People, There are people who specialize in this kind of stuff. Um, I have a friend who has taken art classes at the Botanic Garden. They are such a resource. And even if you live in downtown Chicago, you get on the expressway, and it is really not a long trip to get to the Botanic Garden. So um, look up their classes. Like I said, Herbs for Calm and Restful Sleep is online on November 9th. And also the other thing that uh, I wanted to tell you about was Lightscape. Uh, Lightscape is something they started just a few years ago. I, you know, I think they were trying to think, how can we make the Chicago Botanic Garden more of a, a year-round place? Sure, people love to go there in the spring and the summer, but it's not necessarily someplace you think about going in the winter. So they did two things. They started the Night of a Thousand Jack-O-Lanterns, which takes place every Halloween, and they... I don't know when it starts. My tickets for it aren't till December, but um, sometime this November, they are going to start this thing, Lightscape. I don't know what city it uh, originated in. I know that um, they they do this in different cities around the world. And it is a, you go there, you get your tickets, and you walk through this path. It's about a mile Um and you start at point A, you end up circling through the garden and ending up back where you start. And I'm telling you, it's breathtaking. Yes, I know there's a lot of places that you can go um, to see pretty lights, but Lightscape, man, oh man, it is on a different plane of existence. It is jaw-dropping, and it is lights, and it is music, and they have little places where you can get some hot cider. And it is just, it's really, it's really special. And I really hope that you get a chance uh, to take advantage of this. Um, well, I'm really sorry. I don't know why we weren't able to connect with uh, Dawn. Maybe I gave Lady B the wrong phone number. I'll have to check that when we get off the air. Um, but um, like I said, they have tons of classes, some for kids, and summer camp, and you should look it up because it's a it's a wonderful resource. We are so blessed. You know, did I don't I just learned this recently that the Chicago Botanic Gardens were part of the Cook County Forest Preserve program. That and Brookfield Zoo, which brings us back to the ballot. If you live in Cook County, there is a request from the Forest Preserve folks to just teeny tiny smidge increase your property taxes. The forest preserves have not asked for a tax increase literally since the, like the 1930s. And there are lots of things at the Botanic Garden and Brookfield Zoo that the Cook County Forest Preserve people and the Park District people would really like to upgrade and improve. 
I know I'm not one generally to say, you know, vote to pay more tax, but that's an exception to the rule. That's something that I think is really, really worthwhile. So uh, that's going to do it for me. Again, you have your marching orders for this weekend. You are going to turn your clocks spring ahead, fall back, back <laughs> on a Saturday night. You're going to get an extra hour this weekend. I hope you spend part of that time making sure everybody that you know is voting. And if somebody hasn't voted yet, talk to them. Do they need a ride? What, what would have to happen for you to help that person vote? When people turn out in large numbers, Democrats win. Republicans, they're always mad. They're always angry. They always feel like somebody's doing them wrong. So they show up. They show up. Democrats, we have to, we have to be motivated. And if the fall of Roe v. Wade and some of these other things isn't motivation enough, then, then we are lost. So you have some homework and you have an assignment to find some joy this weekend. I will see you on Monday. Remember on Tuesday, November 8th, Election Day, Patty Vasquez and I are going to be on the air from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Tim Hogan's going to join us, our executive editor. And uh, we're going to be talking to a lot of really interesting guests. Even if we don't have a huge number of results, it is going to be a very fun night. Please join us. We'll be on from 6 to 10 with our election night coverage. Okay, that's it for me. Have a great weekend. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez is up next. Have a great evening. Good night. <laughs>